Right, good morning again. We're continuing on our uh, Kingdom Culture series, and this morning uh, looking at the theme of discipleship. Uh, Alice said to me just, just now, I've got all these pieces of paper here, and she said, uh, do you have to get through all of that this morning? Um, I think bearing in mind last week that our service went quite long. Um, no, 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 these are little, little notes. So this is also, I think, partly how my brain felt this week about what to say about discipleship. Um, I've got these notes and quotes from bits and bobs all over the show about, you know, what, what is the important thing that, that I guess we feel God is calling us to communicate this morning about um, discipleship and what it means to be a follower of, of Jesus. Um, my microphone's going to keep slipping off my ear, so um, I apologize in advance. I've, there's something, I don't know what's going on there, so I apologize for that in advance. Um, disciples, disciples, disciples. Disciples in the Old uh, Testament in the ancient world um, were essentially students. Um, and uh, more than school, though, uh, they spent their time, all their time, with their, their teachers, their rabbis, their, their masters. Um, and this is possibly going to be annoying. I could just go over to the lectern. Why don't I do that? I'll just use the lectern. I'll use the lectern. That's fine. Yeah, yeah. I'm just going to turn my microphone off now. Test, one, two, check, awesome. I'll try not to whack that as well. Here we go. Ask James and Sarah and Becky what I'm like at, in the office. I just spread out. All my stuff just spreads everywhere. And every four or five weeks, I do this big tidy up to collect all my things back into here. And so clearly, I'm just spreading out through, um, through the rest of the stage here as well this morning. Let's start again. Disciples, discipleship. So uh, disciples are essentially just teachers, uh, sorry, students um, of their teachers and their masters. And they, it wasn't like you just went to school and, uh, and then you went home and that was just four, five days a week from nine until three o'clock. But it was all-encompassing. To be a disciple of a rabbi uh, meant that you spent all of, almost the majority of your time with them. You followed them around. You devoted your life to them. And more than that, you took on their teaching in a real and tangible way so that you embodied the things that they taught. And with that in mind, when we think about disciples of Jesus in the New Testament, we see them uh, you know, trying to emulate them. We see them competing with the disciples of John the Baptist. Um, you know, and John's disciples come and they sort of talk about, they, they have a couple of stands off. And one particular one that comes to mind is in, in, um, in the Gospel of John, uh, John the Baptist disciples come and say, no, everyone's following Jesus, and now they're not following you. He's baptizing, and now everyone's going to him. And, and John has those profound words, um, he must become more and I must become less. And uh, it, just, it, it shows just the, the seriousness of um, discipleship that um, they had in the ancient times. And I was thinking uh, about what uh, discipleship meant for me, and... Um, Discipleship in all that its facets of, of embodying what Christ teaches us and following uh, his word in, in terms of daily Bible reading and prayer in uh, evangelism and all these different aspects of discipleship uh, can be quite messy. And I was trying to think, how is this best explained? And, and I ex thought of this. Um, last year, uh, Daryl, who, who plays keyboard uh, in church, invited me to play squash with him. Right? And I've never played squash in my life. I've always wanted to. Um, but I thought to myself, I'm pretty fit. And I'd been running quite regularly. Then I thought, right, I can, 
I can do this. Let's, let's go. Let's, let's have a game. And basically the game uh, turned out like this. Daryl would stand in the middle of the court and he would hit the ball over there, and I would run over there, and the ball would bounce back, and he'd stay where he was and hit the ball over there. And I would run over there, and I'd hit the ball. And because I was quite fit, I could sustain this for about half an hour. Um, and then um, after half an hour, I started to tire, and, and he just absolutely smashed me. Um, and, you know, he, he taught me a real lesson um, in, in that. And, and I feel like sometimes discipleship can be like that. We, we run around from here to there trying things that we think will work and trying our hardest and exerting all this energy into following Christ. But there are some principles, and I'll just look at one of these this morning, but a principle that if we master that will help us to be better disciples. Just like if we master some basic principles of playing squash, not running here and there and everywhere, but standing in the middle and making the other person run here, there, and everywhere, if we master those basic principles, we will become better squash players. We'll become better disciples. Um, and so I want to bring out one of those uh, to you this morning. But can I pray um, as, we, as we get going? Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you that you do call us by name. You call us to be your students, your disciples, to learn from you. But more than that, Lord, you give us your Holy Spirit to empower us in our walk with you so that we can truly emulate you, so that we can truly be your hands and feet in the world. So this morning, Lord, as we look at discipleship and what it means to live for you, would you challenge us? Would you speak to our hearts? Would you give us courage as you strengthen us to step up to the challenge of your disciples? But would you also encourage us that you're the best teacher ever? You love us. You're quick to forgive and have mercy. And you call us back. You long for us when we stray from your path. So God, do encourage us, please, we pray. Amen. That reading uh, we had from uh, Matthew chapter 18, I want to look at that. But I want to preface it by, at, at our Easter service, um, I, I, I gave this message that was essentially, if Jesus Christ, if Jesus Christ could say all of these things, could claim all of these things about who he is and what he has done for us in terms of forgiving our sins. And anyone could say that. But the proof of what Jesus said was his resurrection. Right? The fact that Jesus rose from the dead proved that what he had said was true. That this supernatural event had taken place. And that a matter, our faith is whether we believe this or not. And if we believe the resurrection, then we believe that everything that Jesus has said about himself is true. And that our sins are forgiven and that we have new life. And that we've been born again. And we've got this eternal hope. But we often focus on those wonderful things, don't we? Those John 3.16 things, that God loves us, and that he's forgiven our sins, and we've got this new life. But this also means that everything that Jesus said is true. That everything that Jesus said about the best way to live, the best way to live as God's creatures in this world, everything that Jesus said about that is also true. And so when we come to 
our reading this morning from Matthew chapter 16. And we particularly look at verses 24 to 26. 24 to 25. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Verse 25. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man or a woman if they gain the whole world and forfeit their soul? Or what would a man give in return for his soul? Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Do we believe those words of Jesus to be as true as those wonderful words about what he did on the cross and our salvation? Do we truly hold that in our hearts when we come to say, I am a follower of Jesus? I am a Christian. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And to put this in context and to put in exactly what it means, we need to go back a little bit in Matthew chapter 16 to see exactly what's gone on to lead Jesus to say this, uh, these words to this point. And if we go back all the way to verse 13, uh, in my Bible it's headed up, uh, Jesus conf- uh, Peter confesses that Jesus is the Christ. And it says, Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi. And we know that question. He asks his disciples, who do the people say that I am? And they say all these things. Then eventually, Jesus says, who do you say that I am to his disciples? And Simon Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Right? This is who you are, Jesus. This is who I believe you to be. And, and that's true. It's this amazing confession of the reality of who Jesus is in their midst. But as Peter is saying that, he's also bringing all the baggage that he's got with that term Messiah. Okay, And, and in their time, and what they were expecting was a Messiah who would come as a conquering king and essentially smash the Romans. Right? And as a disciple of Jesus, Peter knows that he will have a part in this kingdom. He will have a part in whatever this Messiah achieves. And so I think that Peter's saying this absolutely genuinely, but the baggage that he's bringing it is also a little bit self-interested, right? You are the Messiah. I am your disciple. He he might not know it. Maybe he does, but he's the chief disciple. He almost represents all of the other disciples. And so as Jesus is the Messiah, and if this is what he's going to do, smash the Romans, conquer the world, and bring this amazing kingdom with all of these rich blessings, Peter is going to have a preeminent part in that kingdom. Isn't that wonderful? Right? But then what does Jesus do? If we go on to verse 21, from that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day rise again. I don't think Peter heard the rise again. I think he just was like, you know, the record stopping at, I must be killed, and I must suffer. And all of a sudden, Jesus is saying, it says he shows them. So I imagine him going through, you know, passages like Isaiah 53, saying, look, the Messiah must suffer and die for the sins of the people. And Peter's going, hold on a second. This isn't what I had in my mind at all. This isn't what I've bought into. This isn't the kingdom that I have invested and want my return on. 
This doesn't sound like what I've, I've got in for myself. But Jesus then, and, and actually, to be, to be fair, it's audacious then, as we go on to see, Peter's, Peter's, that is what Peter's thinking. Peter then, uh, with audacious, audacious presumption, steps forward and rebukes his teacher. That was almost unthinkable in the ancient world. For a student who was diligently following his master and teacher... To, to rebuke him and say, you've, you've got it wrong. Yeah, sure, I've learned all of these things from you. And yeah, I'm your disciple and I'm teaching and I'm, a, I'm your apprentice and you're giving me all this wisdom, but you're wrong. I wonder if you've ever uh, experienced that in maybe your workplace. You know, you've been there for a while and someone says, well, yeah, you might be experienced, but you're wrong. Um, but we're quite hard on Peter, I think, at this point as well. Right? Even though Peter is audacious, and all does do the unthinkable, I think it's indicative of the struggle that we all have as disciples. Do you ever think about when you don't do what you know God wants you to do? Do you ever think that you're telling the God of the universe that he's wrong, or that he doesn't know what's best for you in this certain situation? We can be really hard on Peter and go, the audaciousness that he would have to tell God no, or to tell Jesus no, but we do it all the time, don't we? Well, I do. I know I do. As disciples, we are challenged and encouraged to follow. Peter, though, as I said, is audacious in his rebuking of Jesus. And it's to the point, the Greek words that he uses are perhaps the strongest um, negative or negations of what someone has said, to almost to the point where he's saying that he's going to stop this from happening. And then uh, Jesus says those wonderful words. He turns around, um, I think in the other Gospels it says he turns around and he sees all the other disciples also standing there. So this is quite a public display. And he says, get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. You are not setting your mind on the things of God but on the things of man. And that last sentence there frames the next words of Jesus that he's going to say to us. You are setting your minds on the things of man, not on the things of God. Jesus is saying that Peter has his ideas, human ideas about the Messiah, but he must know God's plans. God's plans are not always our plans. And there are only two choices in life. That as disciples of God, disciples of Jesus, we must make God's way or man's way. Or to put it as Jesus perhaps might, God's way or Satan's way. God's ways are quite different from human ways. And then Jesus uh, speaks those words that we've uh, read this morning. If anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up your cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever would lose their life for my sake will save it. 
Crucifixion and taking up a cross was something that was very familiar to the people of the ancient world. The Romans, uh, as, as you may know, used it as a form of public execution. It was one of the worst forms of torture uh, that a human being could undergo. And it wasn't just uh, given as a punishment, but it was also given as a way of persuading others not to do the same crime that, they had, that had been committed. This would have been shocking to the disciples as he uses this image of a cross. And although the image is often misunderstood, Jesus is using it in a very profound way. One must die to his or her own will and take up God's will. That is the most simple role of a disciple. Take up God's will and lay aside your own will. Lose the life that you want for yourself in order to gain this amazing life that God has prepared for you. If you die to yourself and live for God, you will truly experience life in life to the fullest. That's the essence of discipleship. Taking on God's way. Taking on God's will. This is uncomfortable, isn't it? It is uncomfortable. Submitting to God's will in your life is uncomfortable. Hearing God tell you through his word, through his spirit, you are a sinner. There's a cat at the door. Forgotten what its name is. Comes in and sets off the alarm in the middle of the night and gets Peter Marks called out at two o'clock in the morning. Where was I up to? It's uncomfortable. Submitting to God's will is uncomfortable. Hearing in God's word that we are sinners in need of the cross, that we fall short of the glory of God and need a savior is uncomfortable. Do you have a plan for your life? How your life is going to live out? A plan for your children? A plan for your work? A plan for your finances? A plan for... However, whatever it might be in your life. Have you consulted Christ? Have you spent time in prayer? Have you submitted to God's will with those plans? Or have you come to God and said, God, make this happen? Have we been audacious as Peter was in confronting Christ? Have we been audacious in asking or telling God to use what he has to serve us? It is humbling to rely on God. It is humbling to submit our lives to his will. When we've got nothing else to rely on apart from God, that is when God truly shines through. That is when we truly experience the blessing that God has for us. 
So what does this mean? What does this mean for us? Well, first of all, it means a realistic check on where we are at in our relationship with God and how we are living and the plans that we are making. Are we living with God's spirit shaping our plans and our hearts and our lives? If we truly believe that Jesus rose from the dead, are we truly taking seriously the words of his scripture? The words that he spoke to us and said, this is what it means to be my disciples. This is what it means to embody my teaching. This is what it means. And Christ speaks to us, not just with human opinion. We believe he is God, which means we believe he is the one who created this whole universe, which means he's the one who created you and me as human beings. And we believe that he knows what is best for us in our lives as human beings, despite what we may feel or despite what the world around is telling us. Do we believe and trust that what Jesus says for us is truly what it means to be human? Truly what it means to live life and life to the fullest? So it's an uncomfortable in all of these ways, but it's also uncomfortable in that there's a sense that we're taking a risk, isn't there? That we need to be risk takers for Jesus. We mustn't let fear hold us back. We mustn't let worry of looking silly in front of our friends hold us back. We mustn't let the opportunity to speak the gospel into someone's life slip us by because we're afraid of what people might think. We can't miss the opportunity to be generous and help those in need like Christ commands us because we are worried about whatever plans we might have for that or more. Christ calls each of us to take risks. And at GPC, we want to be a community who live out the kingdom as true disciples, following the will of God, taking those risks in our lives, and seeing God shining through. It's amazing what God does when we step out in faith and let him shine through and let him do the work. We have small groups here at GPC. Are you a part of a small group? Because those are the people who will be able to hold you accountable, who will see you hopefully week by week and see how you're living your life and check in with you and say, are you aligning your plans and your life and your work and your family and the way that you talk and all of these things to God's will? Are you praying, inviting, and giving, and serving as a disciple here at GPC? Those are our calls to action. It means sacrificing our time. It means, as I've said, risking when we invite people to church, what they might think, what others might think. It means sacrificing as we give. It means, again, sacrificing our time as we serve. But it means taking a risk. Are you dying to yourself so that Christ is living inside you? Are you becoming less so that Christ is becoming more?
Discipleship is hard. It's a struggle. It can be like me trying to play squash. But it takes practice. It takes time. Paul has these words of encouragement for us, which fit in with that reading from Matthew. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall surely sorry, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. We can die to ourselves because ourselves have already been dealt with and died on the cross with Christ. We can carry our cross because Christ has already carried it for us. Our sins are gone, dead and buried. Christ offers you a new life aligned with his will. Will you take it? With both hands, will you take it? We live for God. Final thing, Paul says, we were buried therefore with him in baptism. Baptism is an outward sign of the inward working of the grace of God in our lives. We're planning on having a baptism service. Uh, in the uh, next couple of months. If you've not been baptized, or if you want to reaffirm your baptismal vows as a disciple here at GPC, a disciple of Jesus, if you want to recommit to living your life with Jesus and taking on his will, please come and talk to Becky and me. We would love to walk that journey with you. We would love, as a community I know, to celebrate with you. If there's children and young people, and James is going to be speaking to them about that as well, uh, to make that commitment and that step of the sign that we are making a public declaration that, yes, I choose to follow Jesus. I choose to take on the will of God and to crucify my own human will in order that I might have life to the fullest. So be encouraged that even if we do run around, God is good. All the time, God is good. Even when we fail as disciples, his grace abounds. His love and mercy are always there to keep us on the journey and to call us home. So be challenged, but be encouraged. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, you have given everything for us. You gave your life. You didn't just give your life, Lord. You lived the perfect life for us. Showing us what it means to truly live life in all its abundance, all its fullness. What it truly means to be human. What it truly means to live authentic and genuine lives. 
And Lord, we, wanna, we just want to offer ourselves afresh to you this day. We want to lose our life for you. Not so that we can get the reward at the end, but because that's what it truly means to be your disciple. That's what it truly means to experience the fullness of relationship with you. So God, help each of us to make that decision today. Help each of us, by the power of your Spirit, to live that decision out in our lives. That we can be a community of true disciples, embodying your teaching and your word for your glory. Amen.